You know, sometimes you got to learn to love what's good for you. You know what I mean? Hello and welcome to Charlie Swan's Toxic Turn-Ons. Thank you so much for tuning in. Toxic, healthy, normal, weird. It's hard enough to make sense of what we want out of our sexuality without having to sift through the lens of our own judgment first. My use of the label toxic in contrast with the conversations I have on this show is to bring humor and attention to one inherent truth about life. We are never going to be able to make sense of it all. What we want, who we want it with, how to get it, it's a mess. But that mess is deeply satisfying with the right perspective. Today I sit down with the wonderful kink writer and educator, Lena Dune, to chat finding satisfaction in the throes of passion's mess from page to reality, orchestrating the chaos of sexual expression into a symphony, and her life's work of teaching people how to do so. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really, really excited to talk about your work and also talk about your work sort of in relation to romantic fiction. Yes, <laughs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's a it's a can of worms. Um, but no, that's why I'm excited to talk to you about it. Um, do you like romantic fiction or erotica? I, I know you're a writer as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. And actually, it's not something I talk about um, almost ever, but my, my original background is in creative writing, and I am working on a long-form writing project right now and have written a bunch of short stories, too. So, like, my head is very in the fiction game right now, so this is a really exciting topic to dive into. Um, yeah, as far as whether I like romantic fiction... Um, <sighs> <laughs> as a, as a writer and as a, a a kinky freak um i either have a problem with the writing or i have a problem with how explicit it is meaning not enough um usually for me when a work is published i'm like oh this had to pass the test of the like you know the people at the publishing company and what their thoughts and feelings were that said, that doesn't mean that the entire genre is not for me. I've definitely found like romantic fiction that I really, really love. But my, I always come away being like, okay, the writing was great. The romance was great. The story was great. I could have done with more explicit sex, but it was still really, really good. So <laughs> that's I love that take because I feel like a lot of, a lot of people that I've spoken to um, have the opposite take. They're like, I don't know. I like the romance, but sometimes it gets a little carried away. And I'm like, give it all to me you know <laughs> get, get crazy I will read the craziest stuff and part of it is like my friends ask me they're like do you read all of this romance because like it turns you on or like like do you use it like sort of as that sort of device or do you read it like because you like the story and I'm like honestly like sometimes I read the books a bit clinically like mostly mm -hmm. just because I'm interested in like how this author is sort of writing desire. And if the book is particularly popular, I'm interested in what about the explicitness is working for the readers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of times I'm reading it like 
very like studiously. It's not always like uh, for fun, but it's 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 also fun at the same time. So I love that take that you're like make it dirtier. Uh, <laughs> I definitely have some recommendations for you if you need them. Oh, I'll take them. But, you know, it's funny because like you think about, though, like the books that have been published and been successful that are just straight up porn, i.e. Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well, it's straight up porn that has taken away so much of like what would make that appeal to the gaze of, well, obviously it was very successful, but like the gaze of someone in the kink community or someone who does have these desires, who's like, can't get lost in the story because you're like, all of these things are wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I see what you're saying there. I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey is definitely, I think, like the, a big title when it comes to the discourse around romance. And I've read it a couple times in my life, actually, like sometimes for fun, sometimes again, studiously Mm -hmm. and reading it like after the first like thrill of all the dirty parts goes away. You're like, actually, this isn't as sexy the second time around because it's like kind of scary. And um, you get the mom effect of being worried about her. And you're like, this is so not sexy when I'm like, you need to call your parents, young lady. (laughs) Right. And you don't want that when you're reading something that you're just trying to have a good time with. Exactly, exactly. And But the thing is, like, that can come with visual media, too, 100%. Like, you can be mm-hmm. watching, like, a pornography and be like, I'm worried about these people. Are they having enough water? Like, you know, so there's, like, it's not just limited to, like, things that are for the female gaze, you know, per se. Right. It's, like, it's like all erotic media. You can media be taken can... out of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really sort of... I think that that's like a big pitfall that I think is interesting for us to discuss because, you know, you're sort of a sexual educator as well as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've worked together a little bit before. Yeah. I I found like, because I sort of had to take your class in the process of like helping you promote it. Um, yeah. Which was super fun and not only interesting, like in the scope of what it's meant to teach, which is like sexual sexual education around power dynamics and like desire, but interesting, like an interesting perspective to have while reading erotica and writing erotica, because it's like so much of the desire there is not just about like when the clothes come off. It's like when you're reading long form content like a novel like so much of the desire comes from the power dynamic between the characters yeah yeah totally and um I think that the really big pitfall for erotica around kink is to um I think that you need a conflict engine in a book right and and it's really natural to problematize if that's a word the kink and be like oh I can't do this no it's wrong and and have like the care the the protagonist's like internal shame around kink be a driver of the plot um and I think that in order to portray kink as it is in real life which is mostly done in a safe and sane you know consensual or you know risk aware way that the kink being done incorrectly it cannot be the story so like there's this tension there where I haven't seen it done yet in a way where it's like the shame around the kink is not the primary narrative around the kink like you have to find a problem that has to do with something else in the story and that's what I think authors who don't have a lot of kink experience get wrong is like making the kink the problem right and that's that sort of like so a big part of like toxicity that I like talking about on the podcast is not like that desire is toxic, but sort of like society has a lot of toxic 
standards around desire and I think Mm -hmm. like that's a big one that gets baked into romance a lot is that like the main characters usually sort of you know femme identifying have to have shame around like what they want and you're right that's such a problem in the narrative so often it's like we made a fictional universe why did we have to put this in yeah but you know it's funny on the other side of that coin is that like I think that a lot of femme identified people have that shame and then that's why so many of them have consensual non-consent fantasies or ravishment fantasies just to go like directly into the eye of the storm here but like a lot of a lot of them identified people have a really hard time feeling comfortable initiating and that's why I think that trope in so many romance you know novels comes up of like oh he just he he couldn't help himself and he overcame me and all this and oh I loved it and you know that kind of thing but then in real life that's harder to play out because we don't have a script for like how to do that safely so that's something I end up talking about a lot is people coming to me and being like I have this fantasy I'm so weird and it's like actually you're probably one of the most common fantasies I hear about like every day (laughs) That's awesome. I, I That's another thing I experience, like, as I have, like, a new, mostly this season, femme-identifying person on every episode, and they're like, I really like this thing, and it's super weird. I'm like, it's not, it's not weird. Like, the spectrum of desire is so wide-ranging and, like, so personal. You know, I think that the shame around it is something that... Um, I think is so complicated, especially when it's tied into narrative, because like something you want in fiction, you know, again, like might not be something you want in real life or also might be differently implemented in real life. And I feel like you're an interesting bridge between those two things, like the fantasy and implementing it. And I feel like a lot of your work. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, I, you know, one one thing that I've talked about a lot is that I think people come into trying to implement with the fantasy version, which may have come from from romantic fiction or wherever. Um, and I think that it's important to look at your fantasies sort of as like a, um, a metaphor for how you want to feel. Um, so it's like that's not the only way that you can accomplish what you're trying to feel. So like, um, you know, just to get really graphic, I hope that's OK. Like right. a lot of people are like, you know, um, I have like a friend who's like um, free use fantasy. That's my that's my ultimate desire. I want to be like chained to a post in the town square and people are going to like just do stuff to me. And I'm like, OK, that's so cool. Let's scale it down to like the one percent version of that and like you just have to imagine like okay what's like the 50 percent version and what's the you know like um it feels like that movie um Belle du Jour where she's like having these intense fantasies about like being like chained to a tree and whipped and it's like okay maybe you could just like start with some like light spanking in in a nice closed bedroom with someone that you trust and you've negotiated with and then like that will feel like you've been you know abducted and chained to a tree like in the movie but you, but you're doing it in this little teaspoon dose because you have to learn like how your body reacts what your safe words might be like what kinds of emotions will come up afterwards before you can then gently scale up and then you know not to like push a virginity industrial complex kind of message but you only get one first time so like it's important to walk it up rather than walk it down for stuff like that yeah, definitely. I I think that's so interesting what you said about like let sort of fiction and fantasy serve as a metaphor for what you want and take kind of like the touchstones of that and turn mm-hmm. that into something like that will feel the same. Um and it's cool. 
I, I think another thing I really love about your work and your like education and classes is that like, I think that we also get this narrative, uh, if we get any narrative at all around sex, I mean, everybody sort of gets sort of the messaging that you can't help but receive from media and stuff as you grow up. But like, I think that we get this narrative that having good sex is easy and uncomplicated. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I'm sorry for the cackle, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah. But, you know, like, oh, you're going to find someone and take your clothes off. And that's that. Like when in reality, like, like you said, like you have to know that like you're a physical being and like you have emotions and you're going to react a certain way and you don't know what you're going to like until it happens. And like, it's really complicated to like actually figure out what you want and like and implement it. A thousand percent. And I think that also like going back again to the fiction thing is that I think that people are really scared of like the spoiler alert that's going to come by saying I want A, B and C done to me. And and when in reality, like this is a fear that I absolutely had as I was like, well, I'm, you know, a sub and I want these certain things and I don't know how to go about them, but I really hope the other person just figures it out one day by suggestion um, and what ended up happening is that when I finally met a dom who knew what to do to me, it was like, oh, he told me what he was going to do. And then he did it, which not only is very sexy, but is also like an, an trust building exercise because what he says he means and he does. So like that is much better than trying to wait around for like to not give a spoiler of what's coming next. Absolutely. That sounds like very healthy and safe, but it like for some reason I don't think I'm wrong in saying that like the kink community still has like experiences so much sort of like 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 shrouding and like sort of it's still considered non-normative, I think. Thousand percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's a shame because um I think that according to the research that I've seen, more people are kinky than not, because a kink is just something that you like that is different than that societal notion of sex. And that depends on the received notion you've gotten, which is like if you maybe are like in the you know, the U.S. South and you've grown up Christian, your idea maybe of sex is like it only happens between a man and a woman for procreation in marriage. Whereas like, you know, coastally, we have a lot of different concepts about sex. And I think a lot of times, um, you know, femme identified people come up with this idea of like feminist sex is sex that I have that's empowering to me and I'm in control. And maybe it's a one night stand where I'm, you know, Samantha Jones and I'm like really just hot and sexy and confident. And then anything aberrant from that becomes weird and you don't know how to navigate it. And you're like, well, what if I want to be degraded? What if I want to be tied up? What if I want my partner to take the power? That feels, you know, askew from the norm in a way that you need to navigate with tools like aftercare and negotiation attached. It seems like the most important element, you know, because the Samantha Jones thing, which <laughs> you know, the sort of non-normative like standard of feminist sex we got for a while was like having like lots of sex with different partners and mm -hmm. like it was just very like narrow sort of correction I think that society gave us and it's like if that turns you on that's cool but it's still just one reaction it's not like the whole spectrum of sexual desire that we can now talk about and see on screen totally and if you look at the studied orgasm gap for heterosexual women obviously that's not panning out because like you know when you are a heterosexual woman dating cis men they're 
skill level is, you know, and communication level is not up to par for what, for the experience that you've gone in expecting. So then you're like, I'm falling short because I'm not naturally multi-orgasmic and he just knows what to do. It's like, you always have to find some kind of communication in the middle. Right. And it seems like communication is so like what your work and kink is like found, like that's its foundation is like, we're just going to actually talk about what we want and how to do that. Yeah. And, and it's, um, it's really hard and scary, honestly, like, you know, again, femme identified, I have never been socialized to speak up about what I want and take up space, you know, and that for me, you know, five years into being a 24 seven submissive to the same man who I am married to, I'm still like, oh, I like this thing. It's really hard to be honest, but it's the practice of showing up for yourself and continuing to try that is what sets sets it apart because you know I've heard from so many people that are like I've been married for 10 years and I've been holding on to this thing that I want and I haven't told him yet how do I do it and it's like you do it messily and wrong and and weird and nervous and you just get it out there because you know it's it's about it's a collaborative process it's not about you doing it perfectly on your end yeah, I really appreciate you saying that because I do think it is so I mean, I'm sure it's hard for everyone, no matter what your orientation or gender is like, it's really hard to express what you want. Sexually, it feels so, so sticky and weird. And yeah. I think that woman who's been in a real in a marriage for 10 years, um, and hasn't ever been able to do that, or hasn't even had space for the possibility of doing that. I do think that a lot of times she turns to romance novels, and then um, or romantic fiction at all. And then it sort of becomes this like, uh, interesting dance. I really think that that's how 50 shades skyrocketed so much. It's like, I think that was the first sort of one of the first times that like, something that sexual entered the mainstream. And I Mm -hmm. think it was really an outlet because whenever that title comes up on the podcast I say like that book makes so much sense to me there's so many pitfalls in it like but I understood how women read it and just took the pitfalls and like ignored them (laughs) because I see the fantasy of like you don't have to communicate you don't have to Mm -hmm. do anything you don't have to take like any emotional labor whatsoever like and you just like have an orgasm like I think that fantasy for so many women was like so earth shattering (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm totally with you. That's exactly what I was thinking. If you take Fifty Shades as a metaphor, it's a metaphor for an active male partner that's invested in initiating sex with you. And I think like so many, you know, American women, at least there's this huge discrepancy in the household of, um, I, you know, there's some sort of term for it. I can't remember. It's like the second shift or something where women, you know, in marriages are responsible for so much more of the home tasks and the care tasks. And they feel like the executive in their home where their husband doesn't know how to do these things. And they feel that they have to manage him and tell him what to do because they are the expert. And that's a desire killer, like in a big way. So I think the fantasy of a man taking control and telling you what to do, it could really be tied into that way that marriage, you know, at least in this country is sort of trending in that area where women, you know, have jobs where they go all day and they are, you know, trying to have it all and they come home to a family that still needs them to to be the boss. And and so I, that's why I think submission can be so attractive because, you know, just the idea of not being in control for one fucking second is, is really appealing. 
I love like that you sort sort of like frame that narrative as like the woman is constantly in control because I feel like a lot of times the reality of that narrative really places women in like a place of sort of weakness it's like oh the tired mom the Mm -hmm. sort of you know exhausted wife it's like yeah she's exhausted for a reason (laughs) she's the emotional and physical cornerstone for a large group of people every day so like it's almost like I understand how because I think I I read a lot of romance (laughs) yeah and you know, over and over again, I see that generally the main character is like femme identifying, you know, I think that like over and over again, I see that like, she's not often put in a dominant position in like, sort of the sexual power play. It's like, mostly put in a position of submission. But like, I see that sort of as like a really powerful choice, because it's like, I think a lot of women are turning to these novels, because they're tired of the emotional sexual labor that they have to put up with in the real world. So like, the submission is really sort of very generous. And it's like, sort of giving them a break. Yeah, that's and that's that's the truth of of submission in in real life is that I think people see it as giving away power. But in consensual dom sub dynamics, um, you are equals and you've negotiated to play complementary power roles. You're not actually giving away your power. You're enabling a power exchange to happen. So as as a sub, my, my dom always likes to use the, you know, the um, image of that the sub has their foot on the brake and the dom has their hands on the steering wheel. So the dom is directing where the scene goes, but the sub can stop it at any time. So it's not like actually, you know, I have no power. I have no voice. I find that in claiming this part of my sexuality, I have more power and voice than I've ever had because when you are doing sexuality that's non-negotiated, that you don't communicate your needs, it's not necessarily that you have all the power at times it can be that sort of the um normative um you know heteronormative script of how sex is supposed to go quote unquote is running the show so you're doing this dance according to something that you both have perceived is the right thing to do and you haven't taken a chance to be like how do we make this individual to us so it doesn't have to be kink to do that but having a conversation is really important and I personally and I think a lot of women don't want to read that like normative like sexual encounter oh yeah (laughs) we've had it enough like (laughs) we don't need to have it again like I talked to so many women on this podcast who are like I am exhausted. I am Mm -hmm. a woman dating a lot of het cis men and they like I just don't feel cared for or communicated with almost ever. I don't need to read that. Yeah. (laughs) So like I get how kink and power dynamics become like a really awesome narrative tool. Uh, And then I think a lot of times people are using them and not fully understanding what they're like the narrative device they're using. Like because, you know, we talked about fan fiction and a lot of times fan fiction, Im- I think, implements these narrative tools kind of badly in the same way mm-hmm. that Fifty Shades implements it badly. Right. Because Fifty Shades was um, what did they call it. They scrubbed off the serial numbers to, you know, of, of Twilight to, to make Fifty Shades. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that, the, I mean, as, as a whole, fan fiction very much represents society and that there's like a lot of garbage, but then there's, you know, the occasional really great thing. But yeah. again, on average, it's it's unusual to find like a consensual negotiated, you know, power dynamic in fan fiction. But I think that sort of the collective id of society expressing itself in fan, fan fiction comes up kinky so many times because so many people have these fantasies and haven't had a chance to 
play them out. So why not map them onto your favorite show or your favorite K-pop band or you know whatever people yeah. are writing about? Do you think that like there's a piece of advice you wish you could give? Because I even with new stuff, a cool thing about romance I think is that like self-publishing is becoming a really powerful tool. You know, I know a lot of authors, even Colleen Hoover, who is huge right now, like she began as a self-published author and mm-hmm. a lot of her books became really popular that way. Um, another one that comes to mind is Katie Robert. Like a lot of her books are are not written under like a huge publishing house and they're massive. Like they're massive bestsellers that are selling out at Barnes and Noble. Um, so I think that like a lot of the sort of like there is now an outlet for authors to be able to write sort of whatever they want. Um, and I see sort of kink like that narrative tool of kink that I used to see in fan fiction all the time and still do. But I see it in mainstream romance novels too and it's done better sometimes it's done worse (laughs) other times do you think there's like a piece of advice you wish you could give to authors who are not as educated or practiced as you in kink you know I think that they're they're going in the right direction because you know there's so much conversation about like the female gaze now and how that is so different than like an inverse version of the male gaze right like the female gaze is not necessarily strippers but boys like it's <laughs> it's more complex although I I love Magic Mike there's no no shame to that yeah um but yeah I think that what authors um fail to grasp a lot of times is that issue of like making the kink the problem and also um just the that that spoiler alert thing too like like people can communicate about what's going to happen and it can still be like really hot like I can absolutely you know having um I've been writing short fiction I mean not that I've published it yet or put it out anywhere because I'm like I hope that that you know people like it but anyway I've been working on that a lot myself and it is harder. It's a muscle that you have to be like, okay, how do we fit in a moment of negotiation and active consent? And active consent can be so hot. It can be like, how does this feel for you? And then, you know, somebody being like, it feels great. Like, yeah. know, it doesn't have to be more complex than that. Or like, you know, it can be even like a high protocol dom being like, these are the things that you're going to do. Do you agree to them? And then doing that scene as you would have anyway. And like, showing the internal world of your protagonist or whomever is you know doing doing the sex um and I think like at the end of the day what kink really can provide to a writer is is a really beautiful metaphor about how your character engages with power and autonomy and who they think they are in the world and how they're interacting with their own sexual shame and you can bring that conversation in without killing the sexiness because that's very human is to be holding many things at once so that's what I'd like to see because when you see kink that's just like "Ooh, it's hot you know it's like well there's a lot going on and when you do practice this stuff you are in conversation with like power and your childhood attachment issues and like all this stuff and that just makes it all the more rich I think rather than distracting from the plot definitely and also like I I hope I sincerely hope you publish your you know, your fiction soon, because I think that it's like as a sort of kink and sex educator, I'm, I'm sure that it's, it has an extra layer and flavor that is probably very enjoyable to read. Um, (laughs) I also think that like, that's, that's pretty subversive, like that's rock star to like, write these sort of romantic tropes and fiction, um, but like sneak in like this very subtle sort of like uh, 
extra narrative device of like a healthy sexual communication dynamic and it's like Mm -hmm. now women are reading fiction that like or anyone's reading like romantic fiction that's like sort of a healthy example of how to Mm -hmm. have sex (laughs) it's like so you know it's I think maybe you're right we're headed in a good direction and it would be cool I'm sure it is happening I mean we're kind of still I think sort of kink and sexual education and conversations around like the intricacies of intimacy are are much more open than they used to be but we're still kind of in the early stages of that Um, definitely and you know the 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 point at the saturation point that I wish we would be at is that that point where you know women who are in marriages that aren't meeting their needs and are you know taking on too much and are exhausted and dropping down to read a romance novel at the end of the day that that romance novel would make them feel seen rather than something they're missing out on and be like you know here's how to to take one tiny step towards it rather than be like you can only achieve this in a world of complete fantasy and it can't exist in your real life which is not true it can exist in many many people's lives if they have the right tools and steps and, you know, open, open minds to hear each other out. And that's what I mean. It's like, you know, these romance novels and fiction is getting more and more sort of like advanced and like, I mean, healthy sort of, and like uh, healthy in the way that you could implement the fantasy in real life. Whereas Mm -hmm. like, there are a lot of fantasies and fiction I read where I'm like, I don't, I don't know that that one should be implemented in real life. That <laughs> kind of like not a good time for anyone involved, both emotionally and physically. Um, but like the examples start becoming more like communicative and uh, like, uh, you know, physically satisfying for women. And then like, you know, maybe that dissatisfied person who's reading the novel can be like, I read this thing. I think think that like with a little bit of communication and know-how we could have this thing pretty easily totally and the other the other side of the coin though is that I'm a a huge supporter of um this is going to sound weird but let me clarify a huge supporter of problematic fantasies because (laughs) I think that like transgression and having um, a fantasy world where you can escape and things can be thorny and intricate and messy and complex is really important. And I will um, fight till my dying breath for people to have the right to be messy because, you know, being a human is not about being extremely scrupulous and finding the exactly correct way to do everything we do. Like sometimes sexuality can be an arena where we can be like, I'm going to be messy. I'm going to do something wrong. But it's it's more about keeping yourself and your feelings safe through that process. You know, like I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, just because we're having conversations about sex positivity, it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, read and, you know, alien erotica and go get a tentacle dildo at your local sex shop and like act that out in a really complex you know, wet and messy scene with slime, like that should absolutely be on the table. You know, it's just, um, it's just about taking care of yourself in the process of, you know, discovering what makes you turned on and alive. And the thing that makes you feel turned on alive might be something that people think is weird. Um, And yeah, I don't know. I'm just a big proponent of, um, of weird, not that aliens are necessarily a problematic fantasy. That's just what came off the top of my head, but (laughs) I'm just a big supporter. I totally, I'm really glad you said that because that's really like, honestly, that was the whole inspiration of this podcast is like, I work, I work in the sexual wellness industry, sometimes as a copywriter, sometimes like editorial stuff, sometimes, you know, like fiction and um, because of that, I feel like a lot of my like sort of 
femme identifying and female friends like would are feel comfortable increasingly felt comfortable having those discussions with me and every single time we had those discussions just like casually over a margarita or something (laughs) you know they'd be like I like it was always coming from this place of like feeling weird or or shameful and I'm like first of all nothing shocks me anymore so (laughs) you don't need to be like cagey around me but second of all it's like I can tell that that's like the real place that you come from your fantasies with is like this is sort of wrong and so like you know, every time someone comes on this podcast, I'm like, no, it's not wrong. It's just a real part of who you are. And I'd like to know, like, where that's coming from, because that says so much about you as a person. And like, that is sort of a part of you that makes you special, even if it's kind of complicated, you know, that it's from like, you know, shit that you experience as a child or Mm -hmm. a really bad breakup you went through, or you literally just think that this alien is really hot for some (laughs) reason, you know, like, there's no reason in like the fictional, I think, to hide that or cast that aside because it is such a rich place to be able to have a conversation from. Totally. And I will say as a kink educator, um, I've been you know, online hearing the unfiltered thoughts of thousands of people every day, all the time for you know years now. And I will say that there is only one fantasy I have ever heard where I was like, you know what, that is weird. And I've never heard it from anyone else. But you know, like happy for the person, hope they implement it correctly. So let me just say for the record, everyone listening, your fantasies are probably not that uncommon, unless you are the person who wrote to me and said that they like to be tied to a chair and fed scalding hot oatmeal until it dripples down them because that to me like I've never heard oatmeal sexualized in that way before but I'm really I really hope that you have like good aftercare for whatever hot uh, oatmeal lands on you and I hope you're taking good care of yourself and it's like unless you are the oatmeal person I've heard your thing a hundred thousand times and you're good so and to the oatmeal person I applaud you yeah I applaud you for figuring that out because it's really hard to identify what's gonna do it for you in bed so if that's what's gonna do it for you you know I hope it's I hope it's not too hot but like have at it <laughs> no, god bless the oatmeal people of the world <laughs> right like I and it's again every time I have this conversation with with people it's like no, like that's coming from a place that I've heard a lot of people speaking from like mm-hmm. a lot of times with the women I talk to. It's like I have been absolutely horrifically wronged by so many men. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's fair. And that's a part of you. And it's OK that that sort of emotional life turned into a certain fantasy, like protect yourself, figure out how to, you know, chase that healthily. But like, that's fine. Um yeah and especially when fiction like in a story it's like it's just a novel like even mm-hmm. if the novel like you know something like 50 shades of gray it sort of didn't do an amazing job with some elements it's like it's just a novel if you had a good time with it and it sort of illuminated something about your life and yourself then like fine good that's great that's what fiction's supposed to do is take you on an imaginative journey to get to know yourself a little better and cement your place in the world and um, you, you get to know your sexuality too. It's not just, um, you know, like a frivolous side dish. Your sexuality is a really important part of your life and you deserve to get acquainted with it. Yeah. And I feel like society does sort of treat that inner life like it's not connected to the most fundamental part of who you are. They're like, it's totally. just some, 
It's just something you do that's a little silly. (laughs) (laughs) As a treat. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like when you write fiction, are there certain elements that you like writing about or like characters that you like writing about? Um, yeah, yeah. I think that like my go-to character is, um, someone who, and I think that this is, this was me at a very specific time in my life. It's someone who has sort of found themselves in a situation where they are, um, finally invited to explore the things that make them special sexually. Um, and then they find that they, um, you know, are at the absolute hardcore edge of everything they ever imagined. And they're still considered kind of like a naive little baby by the people that they're with, Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of like a fun experience of like acceptance for the character to go on to be like, oh my God, well, if the craziest thing I could ever possibly imagine is something that my new sex partner has done like 20 times and they're like, cool, let's do it. (laughs) Then what are the new edges of what I can imagine? And it sort of becomes like definitely like an imaginative process for the character to find out like oh you know I I could do this thing and I could do that thing and they learn that they're capable of much more than they believed which is you know just like a very classic like hero's journey kind of thing like oh yeah I I I can do more than I thought but then it's not in terms of you know um, saving the princess and slaying the dragon it's like oh I can you know get I can do anal as it turns out (laughs) (laughs) I love that there's there's fun there's sexiness there's a bit of subliminal messaging in there that I think is really productive it's Mm -hmm. like no like whatever you want you can achieve and you can do and there's someone out there for you to do it with Mm -hmm. and then I, I just also love the trope of um that that you know you don't get to see a lot of falling desperately in love in a way that is really non normative and different and navigating that feeling of like oh my god it just really made my heart flutter when you know he tied me up and spat on me that made me feel so special and seen and like you know that doesn't get to be romantic in a lot of contexts but for those of us who really want that it's like oh it's like a box of chocolates and a dozen red roses to get spat on and you know called names and tied up (laughs) it's like an element of representation yeah absolutely and and it gives a moment to show that like what is tender is not decided by society it's decided by the people in the in the relationship yeah, definitely. Um, is there any fiction that you've read that you think sort of like favorite, like you think tackles sort of kink and story well, or sort of the sexy bits well, like just anything that you've read that you're like, that was that was good stuff? You know, mm, in terms of like me feeling like super turned on by a book I've read, I have not had that experience in a really long time. But that's because I don't read a ton of it because I have this preconceived notion. Um like I'm revisiting the the True Blood series right now and I'm, yeah. I'm reading the second book in that series and I'm like I'm like yeah like vampire sex like biting and you know mm-hmm. it, that like I, I love um but uh I would say then in terms of like romance and being written well and like really capturing my imagination I've just loved the Casey McQuiston books um mm-hmm. And like, you know, the um, one last stop, like, I just thought that it was so sweet to see like a queer romance and like all the things it was dealing with, with like history and, and bringing those themes in. It wasn't kinky at all, but it was like, it was just getting to see um, an underrepresented community. And also I just like was so obsessed with the um, the Butch um, uh, character whose name is escaping me right now, but she was like such a dream boat. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, I would say, cause so... I have, I don't know if you have a Kindle Unlimited subscription, but I don't, but maybe I should. 
I yeah, definitely, because that's where a lot of romance authors who are self-publishing put their books these days. Mm. Um, and so, like the new guard of like romance authors are all on Kindle Unlimited, which you can functionally read for free with the subscription, which is pretty affordable. Uh, so that's how I rip through romance. Is like there's always another one waiting for me on the Kindle Unlimited, and oh, be- nice because it's self-published like they can put whatever the fuck they want in that book and they do (laughs) (laughs) amazing I need to be in the world of fiction that's unbounded by um any kind of third-party approval (laughs) on what's being said yeah screw that I'm very anti-establishment honestly like I come from the world of film where it's literally impossible to make anything without the approval of establishment Um, oh yeah And look how, like, I mean, this is just my take. Like, look at the film industry these days. Like, it sucks, you know? It does. And they don't know what people want. And it's like... It you know I've I've worked in television too and and I just am so familiar with that pattern of development executives being like four people in a room who have decided what they think is what everyone thinks and then everything that's getting made is according to these like what like thirty people across these various networks and it's like I you know I don't want to keep seeing your fantasy mm-hmm. on the screen a thousand times or you know your concept of what people want to see like House of the Dragon for instance like love it I'm enjoying it a lot it is problematic and messy and weird but then when you go into like the behind the episode and you've got these like older white men being like I think that the feminism in this episode is very well done and crafted by me and like as a viewer you're like I have seen this a thousand times like please don't try to girl boss my dragon incest to just make it weird (laughs) literally actually house of the dragon is next week uh next week's episode oh nice and we literally talk about that. We're like, everything about the show is stupid and boring, except for the weird <laughs> dragon incest. Yeah. Like even, um, spoiler alert for, I forget, episode nine, I think it's like the foot fetish scene. Yeah. Like, like that to me was so weird as a kink educator, because I'm like, you guys are just trying to be spicy by being like feet what if and he has a disability so he must yeah. be fixated on feet and like the gaze on that moment to me was like so bizarre and like perverse and the perverse part was not the foot fetish because like foot fetishes are extremely common and to me like very normatized very <laughs> normative, but like but like for them to be like what if you know feet and it's like there's so much more quid pro quo that's available to that those two characters for what he's supplying to her like why on earth would looking at her feet be the only thing that she can give him as the queen of a realm like I I don't know anyway I have a lot of issues but (laughs) and why was like it's so clear that they wanted you to see her as like such like a helpless and like like that moment it was so such a moment of shame for that female character and it's like like that didn't you didn't need to victimize this very powerful female character in this particular instance I know and they were so clear in that same episode with that conversation she had with the princess Rhaenys of like you're just helping the men in your life get forward and I was like okay thank you yes we we can see that but you know for me as like a feminist viewer of, of content I'm like you don't need to hit me over the head with this but okay and then it's like 
the feet also just to make her feel yeah. worse and more violated like th- we get it like please and I think that's why you know content being made by like Gen X and boomer white men is like we've just discovered this and we're gonna teach it to you and it's like no thanks <laughs> we've already heard about it before yeah. years ago like we'll teach it to you <laughs> yeah we've been living it so you know just yeah. get back to the to the incest for a sec <laughs> yeah there really is this renaissance with romance um in the self-publishing like kindle world right now because you know there are so many authors who are like i don't work for anyone like mm-hmm. i write i post it and that's how i make money and i think that's like so so cool and important not only because like i, I like publishing is a pretty old animal film mm-hmm. like all story like capitalized story is like it's a it's an old and dying beast that needs to be sort of turned on its head really badly and I think romance authors are doing it in like this really cool feminist way like on the one hand where like boss babe whatever uh you mm-hmm. know like they're making their own money and owning their own businesses like simply by writing whatever the hell they want and what other women want and they're also like not having to filter what they're actually thinking and what they've heard as their experience as a woman from other women what they want to so it's like this really cool I think like form of rebellion as well as like making the books more interesting exactly and that's what the creator economy gives us is to say like oh yeah your misogynistic view of what I do as being unimportant well why don't I take it directly to the people who want it and be beholden to them like you know as someone with a patreon that's been my main source of income for for a while now I'm like very very in tune with the fact that if I were going by the norms of what the establishment wanted me to put out there I would be broke because people Mm -hmm. don't care they want something that's specific that's catered to them that speaks to them that is so dialed down into a niche that they thought they'd never find it and like that's what makes people feel alive and excited and seeing these sort of old behemoths get dismantled that way is so exciting. Like that's the feminist girl boss content I care about. I, you know, it's, yeah. it's like the, the idea of being like, I really want my problematic, messy, toxic, hot thing that's written <laughs> by and for my gaze, not like your idea of what should be spoon fed to me because of like the industry's concept of what women desire, which is just, you know, what we want yeah. is more dragon sex. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's all we want. That's, that's the only reason we kept watching. Like the literally, scene. the episode with the when they made out in the brothel, like the number of people who have come to me and been like, um, did you uh, did you also really like like, <laughs> like yes, we loved it because it was weird and it was directed by a woman that episode, I think. Yeah. So it really helps, you know, cement like that, you know non-normative stuff is just very appealing and then in real life you know having a little safe danger is something that's so attainable if you just you know talk about it and have aftercare and negotiation and safe words (laughs) well that's that's a that's a great note to end on because it's like there is hope you know There's, There's a lid for every pot. They're out there. Your person that will do, you know, the alien wet and messy goop and tentacle scene. It's just waiting to find you. <laughs> it may take some work. I hope that whoever is listening to this finds it. And if they want to find it, you have classes and stuff that can help people find a partner that wants to do the oatmeal thing. 
That's right. Yeah, yeah. I have a um, sub-survival guide, which you so amazingly helped me write the the marketing coffee for. Um, sub-survival guide is out now. It's basically like I have these fantasies. How do I implement them? How do I get in the dating scene? How do I structure a scene? Um, and, you know, how do I do this um, from a place of self-empowerment, even if I am not partnered right now? Um, and that's sub-survival guide. And then the other one is called Conscious Kink, and it's about how to create um, a lot like Fifty Shades, but IRL, a, a 24-7 or, or not 24-7 necessarily, but a dom-sub power exchange with rules and protocol and punishments. And then how to sort of keep desire going um, if you've been in that kind of relationship for a while. So um, that is both of those are available on my website, askasub.com. You can follow me on Instagram at askasub, Twitter at askasub, and then on Patreon, patreon.com slash askasub. And I've also got a podcast called Ask a Sub, um, where um, I, I go into uh, these kinds of questions and sort of the the ins and outs of all of it. Um, and that's wherever podcasts are. I've got a lot of things. Yeah, and it's <laughs> going to be some fiction coming out, hopefully. Uh, yeah, let me just get brave about it and, and decide that people do want to hear their sex educator uh, talk about um, sex. Uh, that makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> That's what I was saying. I think that that's like a really cool intersection of like, I actually know what I'm talking about. And also, here's this fun, sexy little thing for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, that's really, really cool. Um, Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It was super fun. And also, I hope like, you know, like enriching for people. I also think another thing that I'd like to mention is having taken your class, um, even if you like end up realize like you have no interest in kink whatsoever. I think it's like a super cool, like adult sexual education to go through because most of us don't get sexual education. So it's like, I think it's just really, it sort of, I think teaches people, even if you're not interested in kink that like, there's, there's a lot more to sex than the physical. And like, it sort of makes you analyze that for yourself. A thousand percent. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, there's a lot of this stuff that can absolutely be mapped onto quote unquote vanilla sex, even if you're not like a sub. There's a lot that you can learn that could be fun. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Charlie Swan's Toxic Turn-Ons. I am very excited for next week's episode, not only because it's the season one finale, but also because I have a fun little treat planned for the people who have so generously lended me their ear these past few months. Thank you so, so much again. For extended show notes that include reading, watching, and listening recommendations, as well as a related journal prompt, subscribe to my Substack below. 